Welcome to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. Mosaic Church seeks to engage the modern age with the historic Christian faith. If you don't have a home church, please don't use this podcast as a substitute for being a member of a local community of faith. Whether you call Mosaic your home or not, we hope that you find this sermon convicting and encouraging in your walk with Jesus. Here's our executive pastor, Pastor Brandon McPherson, with this week's sermon. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them, Mark chapter 5. Um, and kids, it's so good to have you in here with us. Um, you've got your little packet, get at it, and also listen to my words. We're going to be uh, talking about a, a child in Scripture as well. It just so happened to land this way. We didn't plan it, but praise God for it. So Mark chapter 5. Before, or as you're turning there, let me ask you, um, when you ask God for something in prayer, do you feel that you can trust him for it? That's, a, that's a, a, maybe a simple question, but an also a deep question. When you ask God for something in prayer, do you feel that you can trust him for it? Can you trust him even if you don't get what you ask for? Maybe that's a, a more difficult question. As a child, kids, I think maybe the hardest thing for you to hear is no. Isn't it? That is the hardest thing. And even as parents, sometimes that's the hardest thing to say to your kids is no. And as, we, as children get older, hopefully they mature. That's our, that's our prayer, right, parents? That our children mature as they get older. And as they get older, our prayer for them, our hope for them is that they will begin to have insight as to why we have said no at times. That they will uh, begin to understand, hey, this is actually why dad didn't want me to jump off the roof, you know, or this is why I wasn't allowed to eat at this time of the day or, or whatever it might be. And the same is true in our own lives, in our spirit, that as we begin to mature in the Lord, I think that we can look back and we can see the times that God has said no or has been silent is for our good. And we can thank God for the times that he didn't answer things the way that he or that we had intended. But today is not about no. Today is about God saying yes, and God saying yes particularly in regards to healing. Jesus healed people in the scripture. I don't know if you knew this, but he certainly healed people. And I don't know if you know this, but he still heals people to this day. And that's what we're going to cover, that he can heal us from the little pains. The little pains like if you were to, to fall out of your bed. Or the, the bigger pains is to, if you were to uh, be diagnosed with a, with a disease of some sort or uh, be given news that would be terminal, Jesus heals. That the largest and most, even the smallest, most insignificant to the largest, most severe pains in our lives, Jesus can heal. Can you say amen to that? Praise God. Let's look at our scripture this morning, Mark chapter 5, and I'm going to start at verse 21. If, if for a moment, I know it might be difficult for the ones that are holding children, if you would stand with me just for a moment as we honor God's word this morning. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, and we'll finish out this chapter. And it says this, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, 
Jairus was by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I can touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of the blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned into the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John and the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, and he put them all outside and took the father and and he took the father and the mother of those and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said, Talitha Kimi, Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you that your word is filled with your healing power. And likewise, we thank you that you still heal today. You are the same God as you were yesterday, that you are today, and that you will be forever. And we give you praise. And it is in your name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The text is what you might would call a sandwich structure. It starts with a narrative, it, it's interrupted, and then finishes with the same narrative. And so it gives us purpose to make comparison. And so we learn in this text that Jesus cares for those in need. And likewise, we should as well, that we learn that God is omnipotent, meaning he is unlimited in his power. This is good news, that we serve a God who is not limited by anything, that he, he can do all that he wants, he can do all that he says, that anything that he says come to, comes to fruition, that nothing that he appeals to, argues, or debates back with him. 
I mentioned that a few weeks ago when we were speaking about the storm being calm, that Jesus didn't have to repeat himself, that the storm didn't butt up against him and, and say, oh, really? And the same last week as we learned of the demon who was of legion, who was uh, delivered from the man, how there was no appeal, simply request, may we go to the pigs? And here the same is true that a woman who is uh, being sick for 12 years is miraculously healed and a, woman, and a little girl who's been alive for 12 years is dead and is brought back to life. This is the God of unlimited power. And this story is in the midst of Jesus' ministry where he can't seem to go anywhere without a big crowd following him. I mean, he is, in just, a, in just a chapter, he is getting on a boat and then traveling across the sea and then getting off a boat and then getting back on. I mean, he is moving all around because the crowd is just becoming too much. I mean, they are, he gets on the beach, and as soon as he's on the beach, he is overcome by a crowd, so much so that someone touches him, and he turns around and says, who was that? And his disciples are like, are you crazy? Everyone is touching you. Everyone is here. They were not socially distanced. They were people everywhere. They were all consuming this pressure that wanted to see the Messiah or wanted to see this man with unlimited power. And so we see this man named Jairus who comes to Jesus in desperation. And parents, there is not a more daunting circumstance than to think of your child to the place of the point of death. We would, I would say that we would all die before, for our children. I hope that you would say that. I feel like that's an, an easy thing to say. I would lay down my life for my kids. I would do anything for my kids. And here this man, this isn't just, this isn't just she's sick or that she's been diagnosed with sickness. This is that she's at the end of hospice, that, that, that all hope is lost, that he has nothing else. And he is grieved that his 12-year-old daughter is on her deathbed. Luke would say in his account of this story that this is his only child. This is his only daughter. That This is the only one that he has. And he is desperate for Jesus. Jairus is the leader of a synagogue. And despite the growing opposition of the religious establishment, he goes to Jesus and falls before him. This would have been controversial, especially for his position. And yet he goes and he humbles himself before the Lord. And so I ask you this morning, have you ever been desperate before God? Have you ever cried out to him when it seemed that there was no hope whatsoever? I mean, again, we, we, we've discussed the storm and how Jesus is sleeping and his disciples are, are concerned and, and terrified, and there is their Savior asleep on a pillow. But here Jesus is, is with them and walking and, and awake. And Jairus comes, and from his perspective, he's burdened and overwhelmed with grief. And then Jesus then begins to have this dialogue with a woman who needs healing. And, and if you could put yourself in Jairus' perspective, in his position, you might would think, man, like, this lady's been dealing with this for 12 years. Like, what's 30 more minutes? What's just a little bit more time? Like, can we, could she just come along with us? I mean, she's made it this far. This is a grown woman. We're talking about a kid here. I mean, as a parent, 
You could imagine the anxiousness that Jairus was feeling here in this moment. Verse 25, again it says, And there was a woman who had, who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. This is an unceasing hemorrhage. That was, it was bad enough on its own. But what would make things worse is that the Old Testament law would declare that someone with this condition was described here as ceremonially unclean. That meant that this woman could not be a part of not just the community, but couldn't even worship with the, the, the family of God. That, that she was unclean, as unclean as what would be considered like a leper. No one was allowed to touch her. No one was even allowed to touch her clothes, lest he or she would also be considered unclean. That this woman was not just suffering physical misery, but she was an outcast and was suffering social and religious misery. Because she had been banished from the presence of the people of God. And so we have this woman who is very ill, who couldn't go to church, who had to live outside of the town and was in isolation and was utterly alone. It's very likely that she had no children, no husband. It says that she had suffered much more under many physicians and had spent all that she had but was no better and was actually growing worse. And I would, I would say I would doubt that the doctors were in the, in the ancient world wanting her, wanted her condition to get worse. They simply just didn't have the medicine. They didn't have the knowledge. They didn't have the tools at their disposal to give her relief. According to the medicine in the first century, her condition was uncurable, incurable. There was a, a, a feeling of dread that she must have felt in her affliction. Yet there is much to learn about this woman, that she seeks after God. She seeks after Jesus because of her need. And she has no one because there is no one there for her. So she, she seeks all that she knows, and that is just this one man, Jesus. This woman's situation is unique, again, because the Levitical law that's in play, that, that she's at the point where after seeking Jesus, she now has uh, full access to him and to the body of Christ, that this is what's going to be granted to her. But what she does is unthinkable, and it is unacceptable. She took a risk that day. Because Jesus could have, and rightfully so, looked at her and said, do you not know the law? But he doesn't, because he is compassionate. It says that she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, she said if I can even touch his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. She didn't want to bother him. She didn't want to bother Jesus, but she knew the situation that she was in was worth bothering him, was even worth bothering all of those. She was also breaking the rule that she, if she were to go into the marketplace, she was to announce herself. She was supposed to, to make a motion and brought, bring attention to herself saying, unclean, unclean throughout the marketplace. How humiliating that must have been for her for 12 years to operate in that sort of capacity. It's no doubt that people around her knew who she was. 
Oh, here she is again. But regardless, she had the faith that Jesus might heal her. It's also important to note that she probably was superstitious to some degree. Most commentaries, scholars would agree with this, that she was thinking that if I could just touch this, this just touch the fabric of him, that, that I will be healed. And so there, there was maybe some, some poor theology that might would be in play. J.I. Packer says in his book, Knowing God, he says, doing without doctrine is blind and doctrine without doing is dead. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be blind than dead. I'd rather be able to see and be alive, though, far greater. And this woman, though her theology may not have been correct, she understood what she was looking at at that moment. Sometimes we ridicule other Christians who are out doing God's work and don't have correct theology. All the while, maybe we're just sit, sit up in our offices getting loaded up with good theology. To what purpose? I've been there. I've, I have fallen in that trap of being so full in my head and so empty in my heart. So what does Jesus say to her? Well, here's what Jesus does not say to her. He does not say, daughter, your touch has made you well. Neither does he say, daughter, my garments have made you well. No, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. So what does this mean? Her faith was not the efficient cause of her healing. Jesus was, but her faith was the instrumental cause of her healing. Just in our own justification, this is just as in our own justification, that God does not declare us righteous because there is an inherent righteousness in our own faith. It doesn't, we, we don't have this faith that just prompts God to say, because you have faith, I will save you. But no, faith is the instrumental cause of our justification. And because it is a tool by which we take hold of Christ, because Christ has given us that faith, Christ is the efficient cause of our justification. And in the same way, it was Jesus who healed the woman. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And you would have to look here in the Greek as to what he is saying, but the verb that Jesus uses while speaking to this woman is different than other accounts where he says you are healed. The verb that he uses is to say, you are not healed right now only, but you are healed permanently, is what he says to the woman. He says to her, you are healed, my daughter, forever. That is good news. Maybe you're sitting here right now afflicted somehow, physically, mentally, spiritually, whatever it might be. I, I want to remind you today that Jesus can heal you. But I also want to remind you that if Jesus has saved you, Jesus has healed you. We have to be reminded of it. All right, kids, listen up for a second. When you get hurt, you scrape your knee, what do you need the most? Maybe a Band-Aid, 
yes, but, but more than that, if, if dad or if mom is not around, you might need dad, but you need mom, right? That's, that's the cause. That, that's the number one thing. You need mommy. And when you need mommy, what do you need? You need to, her to kiss whatever it is that's wrong. And I don't know what happens because these kisses aren't that powerful. I don't know what happens, but they can be absolutely wrecked. But a kiss from a mother or a dad somehow comforts their little hearts and brings them back to sanity. Right? What was a moment of chaos, all of a sudden being grasped by mom or dad, relieves you. And the scripture is there to remind us that despite your pain and despite your suffering, the Father's touch can comfort us in the most difficult times. And so we can look to our Heavenly Father even in the midst of our pain and, seek and find comfort that He has already healed us and He has healed us permanently. And so this dialogue takes place and we get back to Jairus who is standing there watching this take place because the scripture also says that she explains to Jesus what's going on. So she tells him a whole story. And I like to think of her as like an old church lady uh, who an old church lady sometimes might tell you a story that's just like a little longer than most stories, right? Or that most stories should be. And so I just imagine Jairus just like, you know, check, not his Apple watch, but checking out his watch. Or they don't think they had watch. But uh, checking out what he was, you know, looking at the, looking at the sun, you know, like, all right, you know, the, the dial's moving. I don't know. And is like freaking out. Like Jesus, like... <laughs> Let's go. Great job. Let's go. Like, you've healed her. Let's get on to my issue. I think this is a, a good place to stop and, and also recognize that we sometimes can fall into this wicked trap of becoming envious of someone else's healing or deliverance while sitting aside still praying for our own. Most commentaries say that Jairus more than likely felt this way, felt like, man, like on to the next, to my situation, and, and possibly, it's all speculation, there, there's nowhere in scripture that would say how he felt. I think it's also possible that Jairus might have been getting pumped up by that, like, all right, I've, I found the right guy. Like, I, I found the, the right man. I've, I've come after the right person, that this is the man who just healed this woman, and she just touched a piece of his clothing. So we might need to pray that, that God would forgive us any time that we see someone else be blessed in a way that we would like to be blessed. Someone that's got something, they've received a job that you've wanted or income that you wish you had or a home that you wish you could live in or, or healing that you wish could take place or, or children that were more obedient than yours. Whatever it might be, forgive us, Lord, for becoming envious of seeing you work. Where, where rather we should become encouraged that that's the same God we serve. Yeah, that's my God. That's my God that just did that for him. Yeah, that's my God that just did that for her. That's the same God that I cling to. That's the same father that I get to call dad. Scripture says that while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. 
why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, he says to Jairus, do not fear, only believe. It seems that all was lost. People are literally coming to this dad, this father, and saying, forget about it, man. She's gone. They're already making funeral arrangements. It's over. Like, it is completely over. And two, maybe you've come to a place in your life where it, it has, hope is seemingly gone. You have nothing else. There haven't been many of those moments in my life, but there have been moments where I, I can recall falling to the side of my bed and just saying, God, like, man, I have sought you and I have, I have done everything that I can, Lord. And I'm, I'm hurting worse than I was yesterday. I'm in more pain today than I was. And Jairus had to have, I mean, he didn't know that Jesus was going to be getting off of the boat at that moment. But having seen him, there had to have been a glimmer of hope. And then Jesus got distracted with this woman. And then the news of his daughter, and he, he had to just been like, man. And this is what we see Mary and Martha feel when Lazarus is dead too, right? I mean, he shows up and, and even Jesus takes a moment to weep in that story. And they're like, Jesus, if you had just come like when we had asked you to. If you had just shown up when we had said you to. Jesus, if you had just worked on my time. Again, another moment that we might repent for, for, for saying to God that he should fit in our box, to fit in our timeline. I wanted so badly to plant a church. It may sound goofy. I wanted so badly to plant a church at the age of 30. That was a big deal to me. Such a big deal. Because 30 was a... It, I mean, that was when Jesus, you know, as when he started ministry. And I just thought, I want to I be the, the lead pastor of a church. I want to pastor a church like Jesus pastored a church at the age of 30. And we planted the church. I was 30 years old. I was excited. And God swept my feet out from under me when in prayer he said, you will not lead this church. Not the way that I had thought. That I, that I would serve my pastor, that I would serve, I would serve him in a way that, that I had, that in, in 12 years of ministry prior, I, I started out young in ministry, that I, I was leading up to this moment and it was about to happen. And at 19 years old, I knew I was going to plant a church and it was going to be called Mosaic Church. I kid you not. I, I, you can find blog posts about it at 19 years old. I was going to plant a church at 30 called Mosaic and I sat, and at 30 years old, I'm sitting there and I'm praying off Randolph Street in Ashland outside in the, at night. And, I, and I'm sitting there and God, as clear as day, speaks to me and says, you will not lead this church in the way that you want to. And I, and I was in that moment overwhelmed. God, this has been our dream, right? This has been all that we wanted to do. Me, the guy. But it didn't take long for me to say, God, thank you. Thank you for saying no to that. 
And so I stand before you with, without any regret, without any bitterness. I couldn't, this is the most, this is the most God-ordained relationship I've ever had with another pastor in my life. And I praise God for that. And I have, I have come to, to realize that if I'm in this place for the rest of my life, then praise God. And we have to get to the place where if we thought that if this is, if this is the affliction that you want me to have, which this is not an affliction, being a, an executive pastor is not an affliction, maybe to some, it was for me for about five minutes. And if, it, if we get to the place where we would say, God, I ask that you would remove this thorn from my flesh, but if you don't, I will still serve you. And I will be grateful because you've placed this on me for a reason. I don't know why my father still has oxygen strapped to him. I hate that for him. But we have to, we have to trust God that this is, this is the route that he has to take right now. I don't know why I've suffered in ways that I have. I don't know why some of your stories that I've heard, I don't know why you have suffered in the ways that you have. And we may never know on this side of glory, but we have to trust God. You have to trust God with your affliction. But you can seek him because he still heals affliction. He still heals our suffering. And so it seems that all is lost. They come to him, why? Why trouble the teacher any longer? It says they come to the house of the... They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw all the commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? So he's in the house. He says that this child is not dead, but she is sleeping. A little side note here. This is extremely peculiar, but this is Eastern culture for you, Jewish culture for you. It was Jewish custom at this time that when there was a death that the family would hire professional mourners. That's what they would do. And these professional mourners, they would come and they would rend their garments. They would, they would, they would disrobe themselves, uh, their outer layer, and they would, they would begin to weep and they would begin to wail to signify the calamity that had fallen upon this household. These people, these women did this professionally. Even the poorest family at minimum would, would hire at least two flute players and, a, and one female whaler to be there at the death of a family member. And Jairus here, who was the ruler of a synagogue, was more than likely wealthy and would have had an entire team of professionals. I mean, Jesus is like, this is, this is way too much noise, way too much commotion going on. Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but she is asleep. And this is how we know that, they're dis that these people are disconnected from this because they begin to laugh at Jesus. They begin to mock him. But he put all of them outside and he took the child's father and mother and those that were with him and he went into where the child was and he said, little girl, I say to you, Arise. 
Jesus had already ritually defiled himself by the touch of the woman with the flow of blood. And here he has defiled himself by touching a corpse. But again, Jesus saw that the need of, the, of one of God's people outweighed the ceremonial law. Jesus was perfect. Jesus is perfect. That's what makes his life on this earth so outrageous that he comes among sinners and communes with them. And not just communes with them, but has, is in contact with them and loves them and touches them despite their defilement. And what these people don't even realize is that their sin was just as devastating for Jesus to be in and around as this dead child. Their wickedness compared to his holiness was just as outrageous. And they had no idea. They would look at Jesus and say, you would, you would touch this dead child? And, and he didn't respond this way, but he certainly could have said, I'm here with you. Jesus doesn't just ritually defile himself by dying for you. He absorbs your sin and bears it for our sake and clothes you in his righteousness. Jesus doesn't just see death. He gives life. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know of this. And he told them, give her something to eat. I love how practical Jesus gets at times. It reminds me of when he fasted for 40 days and afterward he's just like, I'm hungry. Right? Jesus, I think even here with this 12-year-old child shows us that Meeting the physical need is also important. We want Mosaic to be a church that is excited about doctrine and theology. But we want to get excited about practical things too. We want to feed people who don't have money to, to feed themselves. We want to clothe people who can't afford to clothe themselves. We want to help mothers who don't have a husband to walk alongside them. Practical needs. Jesus was never above practical needs. When you give to Mosaic, I want you to, to know with confidence that you're not giving to, to salaries or to buildings alone. Those things come in play because they're necessary and biblical. But we want to go far beyond that. I don't know what you need today. Maybe it's healing, maybe it's community. But it is certainly Jesus. Whether you think you need him or not, you do. I have personally seen with my own eyes miraculous things take place in front of me. Even with brothers and sisters in Christ who I adamantly disagreed with theologically. I've seen, I've seen people who couldn't quote hardly any scripture at all pray with all sincerity faithful prayer 
believing that their Savior heals. I was 19 years old when I was credentialed. Far too early to be credentialed, but as, when I became a pastor, and I, rem- I remember vividly walking into the hospital here in Mechanicsville, my first hospital visit ever by myself. I was pumped. I was excited, nervous. I didn't know the lady that I was going to see, but I knew that she was a believer, and I found comfort in that, and I was excited. And I had been with my pastor, my mentor, many times to the hospital, but this was my first chance. And when I got the call, hey, Brandon, I'm not available. I need you to go see this lady. For, for this pastor, it was just an everyday occurrence, but for me, it was the moment. I was going to walk into that place, and I was going to part the Red Sea. I was going to walk in there, and I was going to pray every scripture I knew, which wasn't much at 19. And I walked in there, and I'll never forget the lady laying there and her daughter who was older, much older than me. They were, and I, I walked in. I, I, don't, I was like in a, I dressed up for this thing. I was in a tie. I was walking there. I parked in the pastor's parking spot, even though I didn't have a tag for it. And I walked in there, and I gave it my all. I prayed. I prayed what I would consider the most beautiful prayer I could have belted out. And I was, I was weeping. I was grieved with this family. And I walked out of that room, and I, I was heading back home. And I, and I kid you not, before I got home, I got a call that she had passed away. And I was like, what? I mean, I was afraid to pray for people after that for a little while. I was like, that was, God, that was the, the exact opposite of what I prayed. <laughs> like, that couldn't have been more opposite. <laughs> like, I was proclaiming stuff. You know what I mean? This was back when I was declaring things. <laughs> Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I was like, I said some things. You didn't hold up onto your end. The outcome is not our responsibility. Faith is. We are to have faith. We are to confidently go before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because He has given us access to do so. And when we go, we should walk in emboldened not by our own will or our own volition or our own prayer or whatever we're able to say or recite or whatever your theology might be, but we are to walk confidently before the King of Kings knowing that He is the great I Am. When Moses says, who am, or when Abraham says, who am I? Jesus, or God says, I am. When Jeremiah says, where do I go? He says, where I send you. That is the God that we serve. He is our hope. That 12-year-old little girl, she is not still on this earth. That woman with the issue of blood, she is not still on this earth. Death met them. But it was just a sting. And it wasn't much of a sting, as Paul would say. It had no victory over them. Because the same resurrection power that we experience through Jesus, they experience through Jesus. And they have seen him on the other side of glory. Just as you, as you and I will see, one day we will see that woman 
And she will say, I'm so glad that I touched his hem that day. Just the hem of his garment that day. But she will say more than that. She will say, it wasn't the hem of his garment. It wasn't even my effort. It was that he drew me into him. Eternal healing is far greater than anything that we could ask or think. It is our hope. It is our strength. And it has the power over everything. It has the power over disease. It has the power over death. It has the power over lost causes. And all of these converged in the touch of Jesus. This is the Lord in whom we place our trust for all things, for all time. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RVA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus.